Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to try to do 80 verses today, folks. No, 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 no. We already did the first four, so we only have 76. No big deal. We all live with some disappointments, don't we? I'm uh, thinking of an older couple. The gentleman has been involved in rural ministry for his entire life. He's bivocational because the group he ministers with is pretty small. He's part of a denomination that's marked by a significant amount of compromise, but he's been with that denomination all his life. And he always gets in conflict when he does something with the home office. So that offers him a level of frustration. He's also at odds with the country in which he lives. He doesn't frankly like the way things are governed. And he carries a fair amount of disappointment because of his own personal experience. You see, he's in his mid to upper 60s. And he and his wonderful wife have never been able to have children. His, uh, his story is found here in Luke chapter 1. We know him as Zechariah. Now, if you've read this story before, I always say, try to come to this story again for the first time. Be amazed by what God does as we work through the text. Listen to what the text says in verse 5. In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And listen to the stellar mark that, that the writer says about these guys. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. You know how hard that was to do in the first century? When you have so much corruption in the Jewish nation, especially in the aristocracy, and yet you have this couple, and Luke says, when you think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, Holy, blameless, not perfect. Dealing with their sins as they try to walk before God. They're stellar. And yet, notice what verse 7 says. They had no children. They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, what we're going to know as you continue reading is, Although they're beyond the years where they can have children, probably in their mid to upper 60s, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are still praying about it. I mean, look, they, they have some precedent, don't they? You go back and you look at the Old Testament. Did, did Abraham and Sarah not have a child in their old age? So there's some precedent, but you know what happens with certain kinds of disappointments that you've prayed for for year after year after year after year. Eventually... You continue praying about it, but your level of expectation goes down significantly, doesn't it? So here is a couple living in a nation, Judaism, that's marked by corruption, governed by Herod the Great, who is corrupt through and through, and not even having a child to whom they can pass their name. And what do they do? They try to stay faithful to God 
in a world filled with disappointments. It sounds like us a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? God has a way of stepping into our lives just when he knows it's most critical and most useful, doesn't he? He's always in our lives. But notice what he does with this couple, verse, verse 8. Now, it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of the division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, just so you kind of have a sense of what's going on here. The temple was huge. It, it, it was about, for you football fans, the, the actual platform itself was about 24 to 25 football fields in size. Now, that's, that's, that's big. You get, a lot, you get almost your entire NFL in there, right? But so it was a huge area. And they had certain priests that ministered in the temple all year long. They were provided for, and they did relatively well, frankly. Some of them did very well. But most of the priests that ministered there, 18,000, lived out in the rural area. And what they would do is they would bring about 750 of them in twice a year. And they would help the other temple officials with all the things that needed to be done there in the temple. And so Zechariah was not some wealthy priest that lived in the temple all the time. He was up there twice a year, two weeks, along with the feast. But he would not go there as a priest. He would just attend. And so he was a poor man living in the rural area, doing the best he could. And twice a year, he's brought into the temple to help. Well, twice a day, they would offer prayers to God as a corporate group. And one of the priests would go in, and on one of the altars, he would burn incense. And it was reflecting prayers to God. That's what they did. And so we don't know exactly when this occurred, whether it was the morning or the evening. My guess is the evening. All the people were waiting out, and they were praying. There was just corporate prayer. And you always want the priest to go in, and you want him to come out and kind of offer a blessing for everybody, which is basically saying, God is hearing your prayers, right? So they pass around the lot, and probably if there's 750 guys you're picking from, probably in your lifetime, maybe only once or twice are you ever selected to actually go into the holy place and burn the incense. So it was an incredible privilege. And then when you were done, you would come out and you would bless the people. Zechariah finally got picked. <laughs> and he walked into the holy place, and he was already a little bit nervous, you know? Going to burn the incense and then kind of come out. But something happens that's very unusual at that point. Look what the text says. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And in um, dramatic understatement, verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. That's the understatement. Can you imagine? He burns the incense, and he's ready to go out, and all of a sudden he glances to his right, and an angel's standing there. 
Whenever somebody encounters an angel in the scriptures, how do they respond? Fear. I mean, if you ever have somebody share a story with you, yeah, I was shaving the other day and an angel showed up and I kept shaving. Whatever they saw, they didn't see an angel, that's for sure. Right? Because whenever someone comes in contact with an angel, man, it's overwhelming. And so he's just nervous about this and he looks at there's an angel. And it's not any old angel, it's Gabriel. I mean, Gabriel. Notice what happens. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, will, and you will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. The name John probably means God is gracious. So every time you think of this boy, you think to yourself, God is gracious. So that's why when he, I don't want you to name his father's name or his grandfather's name. This is a different name because what God is going to do is going to be a constant reminder to you that God is gracious. Now, here's what blows me away when I read this text. Zechariah would have been more than happy if he could have walked out of there knowing he was going to have a son who would never be known but by a mother and a father. Wouldn't he? That's all. I mean, that would have been great for him. But the angel says, the gracious God is going to do something beyond anything that you could possibly imagine because this will not merely be any son. This will be the son who will point to the Messiah himself. I mean, like, wow, this is, this is overwhelming. Look at what he says. And you will have joy and gladness, verse 14, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine nor liquor. He's going to be set apart for God in that way. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit for that mission that he's called to, while yet in his mother's womb. That's pretty early. Maybe there is something to the pro-life idea, isn't there, when you read the text like this? I mean, he's already set apart for God. The Spirit's already upon him in the womb. All right. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel says, you know those quotations that come from Malachi chapter 3 and 4 that God prophesied way back then? John is going to be that prophet pointing to the Messiah. That's what Gabriel said. And I'm hearing this. And you're kind of expecting then in the midst of all this that Zechariah is going to look over and say, Praise the Lord. I'm a righteous man. I've been waiting for all this. And God is actually going to give John to us to point to the Messiah. Not exactly. Zechariah is a bit of a realist. Right? And so after getting this incredible message from the, from, from the angel, look what he says in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, 
Well, now, how shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You know what he's basically saying? Prove it. Doesn't he? You know? I mean, Gabriel's just said, God is acting. And he's going to use your son to point to the Messiah. Huh. Can you prove that to me? The angel says, yeah, I'll prove it to you, but not in exactly the way that you intended. So notice what the text says. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Do you realize, Zechariah, I have come from the very presence of God to speak to you. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this incredibly good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the days when the things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. You know what, Zechariah? I'm sorry, I keep, that's John. I mean, that's Zechariah, this is the angel, sorry. You know what? And if I call him John, I mean Zechariah. I'll probably get the names all mixed up here. But Zechariah. Carmela, just as you said, God's going to do this. Whether you're totally on board or not, God is going to act. But as a reminder, for the next nine to ten months, you're not going to be able to speak. And then notice what the text says. And the people, verse 21, were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Wouldn't you love to see that sign language? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, he's just, he's trying to make all these kinds of signs. They're saying like uh, something like happened in there. Yeah. And he's just going on. Just nothing comes out. Can't speak. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended, by the end of that week, depending upon when he went in, that he went back home. I don't know. Maybe for Elizabeth, this was one of the great blessings of her life. I don't know. I don't know. Man, you have to ask that when you get to eternity. I'm not sure about any of those things. But for, for nine months, man, this guy can't disagree with that thing she says, at least not verbally. But anyway. So they go back home and look at verse 24. And after... These days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. In their culture especially, it's not the same in our culture today, but in their culture, not to have children was considered... Um, a really, really, really serious thing. And here is a woman that's probably in her late 60s, we don't know exactly, who's saying, God has given me a boy. And I don't know why she's in seclusion for five months. Scholars don't know. You can read all kinds of ideas. At the end of the day, I don't know. 
Is she, does she want to wait till she clearly shows, till she goes out and talks to people? Does she want to make sure that the baby actually takes? I, we don't know. I, I guess more the first and the second. But for whatever reason, she stays in seclusion for five months. And in that entire time, she says, God, my son's name is John, and that's who you are. You've been so gracious to me. Thank you. And Luke says, okay, that's the announcement of John the Baptist who will point to Christ. Now, let me tell you about the announcement that comes to the mother of Christ. And that picks up, so we, we split scenes here a little bit here when you pick up in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, which would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth probably had no more than 50 to 80 people living in it. I mean, it was a podunk, tiny village on the backside of nowhere. Isn't that amazing? Mary is probably 13, 14 years of age. Now, if you have any children, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, my youngest, Mary, is 16. That's like two years younger than her. Thinking, how does my Mary relate to this one? Well, it, 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 it's an amazing thing. But listen, so here he comes to this woman living in this podunk place. She's a young woman, no influence to speak of. And notice what happens. The virgin's name was Mary, verse 27. Verse 28, and coming in, Gabriel, the angel said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And I love Mary's response. Look at verse 29. And she was greatly troubled. What was she greatly troubled at? At the statement. I mean, I'm kind of expecting fear because she's in the presence of an angel. And I'm not questioning that that's true too. But what really kind of took her back was, hail, favored one of the Lord. And I'm thinking Mary's just thinking, I'm 14. I'm living in Nazareth. Joseph and I are going to get married and he's going to be a carpenter. We're going to try to eke out some kind of existence, have kids, and then I die. Isn't that true? And the angel, favored one of God. So she's not afraid, but more than fear, she's going like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's an amazing thing. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which means God saves. John, God is gracious. Jesus, God saves. And he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary's got to be thinking, 
wow. But she's thinking something else too. She's not just thinking like, whoa, like you're talking Messiah. But you're also talking about something that maybe you're not aware of. I'm a virgin. Now, I am engaged, but I have a question for you. How can this possibly be? Because Mary must be thinking this is going to like happen now. Not to when I get married, but like now. And I just want you to know, I'm a virgin. I don't know any. I haven't known any man. Her question is not a question of prove it like Zechariah. Do you see the difference? Her question is, explain this. I mean, what precedent does she have? Zechariah could look back to the Old Testament and again and again see people, women give, giving birth who are beyond the, year, the years of childbirth. What precedent did Mary have? None. And so she's just trying to think, okay, I mean, like I'm being overwhelmed, your favorite wine, all this kid. But, you know, I like I'm a virgin. <laughs> the angel says, I know, that's exactly what we, that's exactly what we want. So look at the response here, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Mary, the birth of this Davidic king is not like any other Davidic king ever. Because you will be overshadowed in this holy way so that in such a way that when there is that birth, Jesus Christ will be both 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. And engineers, go try to figure that one out. He will be uniquely different than everything else. He will be the unique son of God, even as we sang today. Yes, from David. <laughs> but nothing like merely a human being. But a human being. But more than that. Now, I don't know about you, but if she was Zechariah-like, it's at that point I would have looked at the angel and said, prove it. But is that what she said? Oh, the angel goes on to say this in verse 36. Just, just to kind of, what well, he does, he, he offers us the, her this encouragement. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. You see, what you see happening here with Elizabeth, it's just a foretaste of what I'm going to do with you and my son, the Messiah. And look at Mary's response. I mean, here's this woman, five minutes before, she was probably sweeping the floor. It'd be nice with Joseph, maybe have a child. Five minutes later, Messiah, favored one, virgin birth. <laughs> look at what she says. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible faith? 
okay, Lord. And, and we know something that I don't know that she knew at this time. She would carry through her entire life the rumor that her son was illegitimate. Do you know that? And whatever she was taking in in that moment, she just said, God, okay. Wow. I mean, man, I look at this woman, I say, man, she's a, she's a pretty special woman. So God says, okay, here's the announcement. Here's the announcement. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring all that stuff together, and we're going to have the mother, each of these mothers meet. Won't that be an interesting meeting? Verse 39. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah. Now, she was there for three months. And I don't know the chronology exactly, but this is my guess. My guess is she really didn't share, or Joseph didn't find out that she was pregnant until after she got back. Because that's when she would have been more obvious to everybody. And... Which is why part of the struggle for him is, you know, Mary hadn't been around for a couple months. Da, 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 da. Right? Okay, you know, you can see how that can all happen. Anyway. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. Now, folks, look at this. This is incredible. Which we've already learned before. The angel already said uh, John's going to be filled with the Spirit while still in the womb. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit is everywhere in this chapter. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord, a term that's used throughout Luke 1 for God and God alone. And here, it's used for Jesus. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, I don't know if Elizabeth is thinking this, but I do wonder. I do wonder if she remembers, you know, my husband didn't believe, but God is still at work. But Mary did. Don't know. Don't know. But it may be that she's making some kind of a connection there. And then Mary, and I, I know James, I think, spoke on this, Tim, a few weeks back. So I won't, I won't take much time here with verses 46 to 55, especially because our time is fleeting quickly. Um, but you have what's called the Magnificat, which is Mary's proclamation. So she comes to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, you are blessed of all women. Now, now, now honestly, I know there's been certain religious traditions that have taken Mary and made her something that she was never meant to be. That's true, right? Where, where you pray to Mary. Folks, there's nothing in Scripture that talks to us about praying to Mary. Nothing. But sometimes the response to that has been to say, well, it's just Mary. It is just Mary, but my goodness, folks, to be the one that gives birth to, to the Messiah? That woman's blessed, right? So it's balance. It's balanced with all these things. And so Elizabeth says this, and then Mary just cuts loose in verse 46 to, 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 to 55. And basically what she says is this. 
God is gracious to his humbled people. And God will be just with those who are proud. That will be true of my experience, Mary says. That will be true of humanity in general. And that is true of Israel as a nation. Don't you love that? You know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God only calls us to humbly walk with him, doesn't he? And that, by the power of the Spirit, you can do. Yeah, you got to be there. And Mary just says, I want to make this blanket statement to people. God uses humble people. In his time, in his way, he will act in history. And we can leave the timing with him. It's magnificent. Verse 56. Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now, verse 57, we're back to John the Baptist. Next week, we just talk about Jesus' birth, Luke chapter 2. Verse 57. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she brought forth her son. And I want you to notice again, all the way through Luke 1, hope and joy and delight in what God is doing and humility. All these themes just kind of coalesce together. Now at that time, Elizabeth gave birth and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her. It's a wonderful time, but there was a little bit of an issue. Zechariah is not speaking yet, is he? I mean, he's just, he's zipped, man. The whole thing zips still for him at this point. And on the eighth day, that's the day when you actually name your children uh, in Judaism. And you can see this here. And it came about, verse 59, that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. I mean, that's what you do. And, you know, I guess he's standing over there the whole time going, oh, whatever. You know, he's, he's making his sign language. And Elizabeth knew this. And, and they're somewhat strong on this. And his mother said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. God is gracious. And they said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who's, who have that, has that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted. I, what was that like? I mean, I don't know any sign language, but, you know, something. They're going like, hey, what do you want, you know? And he asked for a tablet, smart guy. Didn't have his smartphone with him, apparently. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. Everybody's thinking like, why John? And if, and, and if Zechariah could have just spoken, he would have gone, because that's what the angel told me. But he, he can't, you know, he's just like, John, okay? Then, at once, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. What you felt like if you were one of those neighbors? Well, he's kind of belligerent, isn't he, on that John thing? Yeah, I know. Whoa, he's talking! Nine months, man, and this guy, and the first things out of his mouth is what? I mean, he's cutting loose on God, man. He's just praying. You know. and, and what happens is, it's so important to us that Luke says, hey, I got a snippet for you. Verses 67 to 79. I'm going to tell you exactly. 
the kind of praise that he, he gave. But he just cuts loose in praise. And the result of all that, 65 and 66, and fear came on all those living around him. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. I mean, it was going everywhere. Hey, did you hear about this? This old couple, I mean, he's almost 70, for heaven's sakes. And they had a kid that sticking with the John thing. And, and, and when he cuts loose and starts talking to God, he's talking in the spirit from all we can tell. It's all about hope and this boy a prophet. And man, have, have you heard about this? It's what all the stuff going around. And all who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? And Luke says, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the spirit and prophesied saying, so you want to have a clip? You want to know kind of what Zechariah was saying? Here it is. And in this passage, 68 to 75, he cuts loose and he blesses God. 76 to 79, he tells you how his son fits into what God is actually doing. Can I just read it to you? And, and I know our time's going fleeting here quickly. Let me just read it to you. A couple comments. We'll wrap it up and be done. Zechariah, after nine months of saying nothing, just pours out. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Man, this guy had learned, hasn't he? For he has visited us. He has accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And he quotes here in verse 71 from Psalm 106. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You know what he says? Zechariah says, I'm going to die soon. And I'm just a tiny little priest from a small little area that has very little influence. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see if those prophecies are ever going to be fulfilled. And they are. And the Redeemer is coming. And we who have been oppressed by our enemies will only find hope in this one. And God is wonderful. And, and I get to be part of it. Then he points to his son. And it's all, the deliverance is not that my life might, my life might be easy. Zechariah says the deliverance is that we might serve God freely. Right? I mean, that's where it's all gone. Talks about the son. And you, child, you will be called prophet, called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way. Again, speaking from Malachi. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And then in verse 78, I want to translate this a little bit differently. You could translate it like this. Because of the merciful heart of our God. 
And Zechariah says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's heart is a merciful heart. And he's bringing John, who will say hard things in Luke chapter 3 to the people. That's true. But the hard things are to call them to repentance so that they might experience forgiveness. Because God is so merciful that he would bring a prophet to call people to repentance. And sometimes when we think of a prophet, we think, oh, some guy yelling out there, repent, because, you know, you see the placard, the guy, however you image it. A prophet's words of warning are the words of hope and grace, aren't they? If you turn, you will find forgiveness. Zechariah says, that's what my boy's going to do. And it comes from a God whose heart is merciful. With which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Our world is dark. We can't find our way. And there is one John will point to who will be like the sun coming up at the midday and it will shine brightly so all will have guidance in a world of darkness. And Zechariah said, that's why I praise God. And Luke says, the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. I don't know if this is the case, but I've often wondered if he went into the wild rather early because his parents died. Don't know when his parents died, but very early he was in the wilderness and it was out of the wilderness that he would come around the age of 30 to minister. So how do we wrap all this together? Well, let's see if I can do this here without messing it up. I only have to do one slide. Okay, that's it. All right, <laughs> pretty good, okay. Mark's over there going, phew. <laughs> Here's the point. I'm trying to think, is one way I can put one sentence this whole chapter? I think this might, this is what I think. God graciously accomplishes the impossible through his followers for the joyful advancement of his kingdom. Isn't that what he did there? I mean, in a climactic way, that you and I will never see. That's true. But our faith and our lives are based on that. You say, Doug, are you telling me then if I have difficulties in my marriage, this is a promise that God will change my wife? <laughs> no, I can't promise you that. But my guess is we all have stories in here of people we know who've been married to individuals who don't know Christ as Savior. And God does the impossible and saves them. Isn't that true? Think of Jim. True, wasn't it? And yet there are other times when God says, the impossible that I will do is not change your circumstances but change you 
in the midst of your circumstances. For I am the God of the impossible who works through my followers so that they can joyfully say, God is using me as part of the advancement of his kingdom. And Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth would say, Amen. Brothers and sisters, do you know Christ is your Savior? God is an, a God who is all about the impossible. He's already shown us it many times over. He's done it in your own life. And he wants to do it again, maybe not in ways that you intend, but he will do the impossible, whether that means changing circumstances or changing you in the midst of them. So that you and I can stand back and say, God, thank you for using me in your purposes. Isn't that what we really want in our hearts? Honestly. I don't want to die saying, hey, I have $100,000 in my savings account. I want to die saying, God, you used me. Thank you. Next week, we're going to work through Luke 2 and relax. It's only 52 verses. And look again at some of the wonderful blessings that come out of understanding what, what happened in the birth of Jesus Christ. Father.